following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the big, big, big show, episode 800 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. I'm, I'm trying really hard to stay focused because it's, again, 800 episodes. Who would have thought? But I have mosquito bites all over my legs. That's not... That doesn't seem... It was for the 800, but I figured, oh, let's also celebrate the copious number of bites that you have. Okay, and (laughs) I'm trying not to obsessively scratch them or obsessively think about how I shouldn't be scratching them, but at some point during any minute of the day, I'm somehow thinking about the bites on my legs. So we'll try to get through this without you hearing me scratch my legs. The thing with me on the on the mosquito bites, I'm so glad we're talking about this, is uh, <laughs> I don't think that I'm I'm a, an awake scratcher. I turn what? into an undisciplined little piggy at night and I wake up mm. scratching at my and it's usually right around my ankles. I must just have a nice excuse. I must have like a real juicy blood supply <laughs> in my ankles because that's where mosquitoes just fucking yeah, they yeah. go crazy. Yeah, well, that sounds And also not horrifying. a problem that we had to deal with in California. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to anger listeners that what do you mean you didn't fucking think there'd be mosquitoes? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the mosquito practically is the state bird of Idaho. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we're used to mosquitoes, but just it's been 10 or 12 years since we've had any real contact. Also, with them. I generally try not to go outside, and um, <laughs> that's very different now. We go outside yeah. every day. I'm going outside and uh, spending a lot of time outside. So Let, let's, let's talk about a few different things. I want to talk about the, the 800 episode. Special 800th episode. And then also, next episode is going to be with someone who came and spent the weekend with us in our home. Yes. Uh, he brought his dog with him. Uh-huh. Voltaire. And Voltaire, the dog. It's it's. We should speak about Voltaire prior to even bringing up Aaron Rabinowitz. <laughs> Which from, we did. We for sure did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, of the Embrace the Void podcast and Philosophers in Space podcast. Yeah. And Aaron spent the weekend with us and... It kind of was a, it was a, not kind of, it was a great experience for Sweet Pea. Yes. Because now, Lil Miss walks on a leash. Walks on it a just, leash. like, something clicked, and she is now a leash dog, which is just fucking fantastic. Yeah, before that, we would attempt to take her on the leash, and she would abruptly stop and look up at us, like, what, what are we doing here? She what are you trying to do? She did the classic bulldog, dip her head, fuck you, I'm digging in my heels, You're not, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, it was also good because she got exposed to continuous socialization with another dog and a very friendly, well-behaved dog. Yeah. So that was a good introduction, I think, for her to be a sociable animal, which we want her to be. So before we get to episode 800 and what it means and where we're going from here and kind of where we've been, just talking a little bit about the show, uh, episode 801 will be... 
a sit-down in-studio interview with Aaron Rabinowitz, which is really great. And um, well, he's a philosophy professor. He recently wrote a paper about luck. He's very fascinated by luck, which we talk about a lot. And so it's a it's a mix of talking about his interests in philosophy and luck and also the, our points of disagreement on various things yeah. because he believes that everything in life is luck. And Jesse, I think you had some direct challenges to that. I may have slid in there a little surreptitiously with some of my challenges, but it was a good conversation. It was really good. It was good on Mike. Later, we held him down to beat the shit out of him. But, <laughs> you know, on the show, we really we, we do what we can to accommodate our guests. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then as a part of that, you and I also recorded individual conversations with him to be released later on his show. Yeah. So it really it was a great weekend. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't uh, we haven't had one of those in a while. You know, we getting covid and being sick and all that. Really puts a damper on being around other people. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so again, um, we want to, first of all, thank the audience. I say first of all, here we are five minutes and oh, six minutes in or so. Um, we want to thank you guys. We would not be here 800 episodes later without an audience. Mm-hmm. You guys have been not only the inspiration and the motivation, but you've allowed us to do this thing. We, we get into that in episode 801 a little bit with Aaron, that there were times, and not so far away, I mean, while we were podcasters, while we had a, an international audience, that we were counting change for gas money. And it is our success is absolutely inextricably 100% tied to your listenership and your loyalty and the community that is built up around the show. And we want to say first, thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's part of what the move to DC was, was to continue to grow this, continue to do more activism and more things that we think are going to make a difference. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of the audience as well. And it's taken more time than I thought to kind of get up and running to where we wanted to be. I think part of that is because we are not good planners and we tend to <laughs> think that things are going to be easier than they actually end up being. Yeah, I think we're both better at the big picture and the details are not our forte. Yeah, and also the place that we moved into, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about it too radically but I guess it's it's not really dishonest to say it was misrepresented to us in a way the place that we ended up moving into the place that we currently live it's it's great for what it is but it's just not what we were expecting and it's made it more difficult to do a lot of the things that we were hoping to do with the show yeah I mean, we wanted to hit the hit the ground in DC and immediately be filming every episode and it just one, I'm not tech aware or skilled enough to figure out which lenses we need for what cameras to be doing that because it's so small in here. Yeah. Um, but we are, let's talk about what the positive things are, and that is the fact that the the future does bode well for the show. We are looking at getting a, a, a string of, of listeners or, excuse me, guests in studio and to line them up for for 
remote interviews too. Yeah, we just finished a promotional kind of packet that we are going to be sending to people to explain to them about the show when we invite them on, explain to them the process of what it would look like when they are a guest. And so we're really focusing on that aspect of getting more people in, especially in studio, because like when we had Aaron here, it was such a, it's a different vibe when you're you're able to sit across the table from someone and actually look them in the eye and ask them questions. It's a, it's a nice feeling. So I'm, I'm excited for more of that. Also, there's going to be a lot of protests coming up in DC and we're excited to be on the ground for those. I think that again, kind of going back to our reason for moving here and, and participating in more activism, that was certainly an important part of it. And so being able to be out there filming content, talking to people, that that's going to be really great during the summertime. Yeah, and we we want to make uh, certain that we're doing that. There's obviously there will be a YouTube component to that, but we want to we want to bring that into the podcast world too, and and share that those experiences with you as well. Yeah, um, it's been a great journey. I mean, eight, eight over eight years. March eleventh, twenty fourteen was our very first show, and uh, it has been. A learning experience and a, a growth experience, but it's also been a wonderful experience in getting to know so many different people who listen to the show, who were early adopters of the show. So, uh, again, you hear this? I do. And you know, I wish there was a way to control it. We love we love you guys. You've experienced Popeye with us, and now the the grumbling, growling. We'll just be quiet. I'll turn up the mics. Oh, she caught wind that we were listening. <laughs> so anyway, you know, you've you guys you you've experienced our lives with us over the course of almost a decade. That is just insane to me. Mm-hmm. So thank you. So before we move on, because of this audience, because of this community that's built up around the show, we have some listeners that have mentioned the 800 episode, but also somebody who went out and. I don't know if they have this written or they must have written it mm-hmm. and designed and paid for a voiceover thing. Uh, Trucker Brad, who is a frequent um, attendee of our Patreon calls, had this thing made, this trailer for the show, I guess you'd call it, uh, in honor of our 800th episode. In the darkest jungle of a mysterious land, a man and woman have combined their strength, intelligence, and persiflage to enlighten the most loyal, engaged, and good-looking people. With over 800 battles in a pessimistic world, they will once again conquer the sinister overlord's desire to suppress the people by offering the riches of optimism. They will belie the king's propaganda and retort culture war distractions like CRT, whatever that is. Now, sit quietly as our heroic knights inform... Hey, they're not knights, they're podcasters. Oh, uh, um... Sit quietly as our heroic uh, podcasters speak. I doubt it, <laughs> podcast. With Whitney Page and Jesse Dollimore. We love it. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucking good, man. It's amazing. 
Thank you so much to Trucker Brad. And Trucker Brad sent this along with a message, so I want to read that. Hello, guys. I'm really excited and proud of you that you have formed this little project called I Doubt It and have grown it to a worldwide achievement. I joined and became a Patreon supporter back in the mid-600s episode region. I have listened to every episode since and participated in some feedback in the occasional hangout. Your format is very bold, entertaining, and informative. You guys are great, and I'll toot your horn for you here because I feel like a brother to you guys. If you're ever in the Detroit area, let me know. I'd be happy to give you some restaurant advice um, as long as you take me along. I have to tell you, however, there is no best part from Brittany's intellectual psychological experience to Jesse's brash political viewpoints and guidance to the memories of Popeye's challenging life and precious love and to Sweepy's emergence as the family's newest, cutest and adorable show stealer. I doubt it is a full fledged team and family, and I am happy to be a virtual family member. Trucker Brad. And we are honored, uh, Brad, to, to know you and, and have your um, invaluable contributions. And that's not just me being a, a dickhole and saying it because it seems like the thing to say. We really, we value um, you very much. So Well, and it's been hard keeping this to ourselves because <laughs> Brad sent us this like a month ago and we wanted to just play it because it's yeah, so awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> but it was a gift specifically for this episode. So we thought, okay, we need to wait until we, we play it for this episode. Yeah. Would have come sooner if we didn't get COVID, but here we are. <laughs> so, so uh, thank you very much. Now let we... Do we have other communication that, that I know? I know we've got a couple that like involve the eight hundred, but aren't fully focused on that. So, I guess we'll just move on with the show and address the topic as, as they come relative to the communication. Well, we have one more specifically about 800. Good morning to both of you. It seems like only yesterday when I came across Jesse taking Joshua Fierstein to task about the Starbucks cup. That one decision to watch led me to find his podcast in early 2016. Six years later, and I'm still here, listening on my commutes and whatnot. Though I'm not as active in the community as I once was, I still genuinely appreciate the work you both have done. Here's to 800 more. Keep on keeping on, George. Well, thank you, George. Um, we, again, we appreciate it very much. It is, it, it'll never be an odd, it'll never stop being an odd thing, having people who have were early adopters of the show when... I mean, with Brett number two and Allison in Boston, who they don't know us. They still they don't know us. They've never met us. And they were early, early, early listeners to the show. We've had listeners, in, Nikki from the Netherlands, who who, who tragically died. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, I mean, that, that busted us both up pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that was, again, years and years ago. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, um, it's a special thing. We're very fucking lucky. Mm -hmm. Going to repeat it over and over and over. Just how lucky we are to be able to do what we've done and achieve whatever modicum of success that we've been able to achieve, um, whether that be listener numbers or just people who are loyal yeah. to the show. Yeah. So how we just feel so great about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got some voicemails here, some voice meals here. <laughs> 800 episodes strong, and I'm uh, just as stupid about pronouncing words. <laughs> uh, let's go to Josh in Wisconsin talking about... The Uvalde shooting. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Josh from Wisconsin. Um, 
just wanted to kind of call in and discuss what happened recently just in Texas. It's weird. It's disgusting. You guys get back from COVID, take a nice break that you needed. You discussed the Buffalo shooting that occurred on your most recent episode back, and now not even a day after that episode, we're dealing with the consequences of a mass shooting in Texas, where as of the last count I saw, we lost 19 children and two teachers who were slaughtered. It's I I'm, I, I want to try to discuss it, but it's, I'm at a loss for words. It's so heartbreaking. I'm looking through Facebook and Twitter, and I'm seeing so many posts from their loved ones just discussing how these children meant to these parents, what they lost, the families that have been shattered by this. And it's even more heartbreaking to know that we have elected officials in Washington that They'll say the right things, but realistically couldn't give a shit about what happened. Let's be realistic. Republicans are going to still parrot their same bullshit talking points about it's not the gun. They're going to parrot their bullshit talking points about how we need thoughts and prayers and how we need to give more guns and how we have to protect the second, blah, blah, blah. But as well as on the Democratic side, they're too fucking cowardly to do what is needed. They won't stand up and fight. And what I mean by that is Schumer's not even holding a vote on the bills that the House passed. You've got Pelosi who cried that we need a strong Republican Party. This is what happens when we have a strong Republican Party. No action, all talk, and I'm just fed up with it. We scream over and over. We cry with the victims. We sit there and we send our children off to school wondering if this is the day that we're not going to see our children come home because of some dumbass with a gun. And explain to me why we live in a country where an 18-year-old cannot legally buy alcohol, cannot legally buy tobacco, but can access an AR-15. What, what sense does this make? And it's never going to change. I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping you guys can give some kind of clarity to this anyway stay safe you guys keep doing what you're doing so i i really you can hear the emotion and i i think we have all been feeling this way especially if we have been reading the news watching the news um it's impossible not to feel this way if you're consuming news right yeah it's it's so tough especially since uh just over the weekend uh, through Memorial Day weekend, there were at least 12 other shootings that had at least four victims in the United States. Yeah. So. Also, I think it really makes it worse when you you couple it with Biden's continued rhetoric about funding that we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund the police. And this is in Texas, where they're not defunding police departments, especially in rural conservative Texas. And this department, well-funded, sat on their hands, sat back while a gunman slaughtered 19 children, two adults. By the way, 38 people total were shot. There's still people in intensive care who may still die. Well, and it's obvious defunding the police is not the problem because that is a 
perspective policy proposal that is often offered in situations like this, not something that has actually been enacted, especially in places like Texas. Right. And you have people like Tim Pool making that argument, getting tens of thousands of likes Ugh. on his tweet because people don't actually believe that that is the cause here, but they are looking for anything that they can blame that yeah. is going to make them feel better and prevent them from actually having to change their life or make different decisions. Well, it's also, along with all of the, the, the shootings of unarmed black Americans, we see the people starting to wake up to the fact that cops do terrible things. And it's only because now there's video after video after video after video of it that we're like, oh, shit. Maybe all those times that we believed them, we took them at their word, maybe they were lying. And this is one more crack in that facade of cops being the good guys with the guns when this entire troop of police were just fucking cowards, armed cowards who hid undercover while an 18-year-old with a gun murdered 21 people. I mean, it's just, nope, no more. And I think more and more people are starting to recognize that. Well, I think one thing we always talk about is there's there's this aspect of conservatism where conservatives don't change their views on certain social issues, for example, until they've had a personal experience that kind of exposes them to an alternative way of being, right? Yeah. Like a, a classic example of this is you have a Republican who didn't support gay marriage, for example, until they had a gay child and then they realized that maybe that was something they should be supporting. Now, oftentimes that that doesn't even change their mind, right? right. They like disown their kid or something there happens. But a lot of times it's like this personal connection to the, the issue at hand that will change their mind. And at a certain point, given how common these mass shootings are, I mean, we have at least 12 mass shootings over Memorial Day weekend in this country. Yeah. At a certain point, there's going to be so many people that have been personally impacted by these things, whether it's they themselves that were shot, whether it's they themselves that were present at the event. They have a friend that was present at the event. They have a family member that was present at the event. People are touched by these events extending outward into the community and these numbers start to increase where we just have to, at a certain point, see people start to think this is unacceptable. That I believe, this shouldn't be a risk that we're taking when we go out in public. I believe that to be the case. That we have a right to safety. Yeah. A right to live our lives. I do want to leave, Josh, um, with some some semblance of a silver lining here, some semblance of positivity. And I do think I get the sense legislatively, action-wise, I'll just say flat out, it's not going to be enough, whatever is done. It's it's going to be um, a half-assed, watered-down version of whatever it, it is that should be done. But I think something will be done in this case that moves the needle just a little bit. And that, that that's probably not going to be consolation, but at least it won't be absolutely nothing. Well, I hope things are changing just in terms of people getting more confrontational with Republicans in public. I mean, you saw Ted Cruz be confronted while he was eating dinner. We're going to talk about that a little later. More of that. More, more, more of that. More of that. Yeah. They need to know it's not okay what they're doing. They need to see the consequences of their actions and their behaviors every day when they go out in public. Yeah, listen, 
until our children have peace in their classrooms, you don't get peace at Applebee's, Ted Cruz. Was he at Applebee's? No, but oh. wherever you're eating, <laughs> he just seems like an Applebee's fella to me. Yeah. You don't get to have peace at a restaurant in public with polite society. You get to hover over a grilled cheese sandwich in your kitchen because that's the only safe place for you. Safe as in uh, to be undisturbed. I don't mean violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and Shannon Watts had uh, a, a tweet thread, the founder of Moms Demand on Twitter, at Shannon R. Watts, and she tweeted, in case you're wondering how long until the next mass school shooting, and then it's just a thread of people that have been arrested over the past few days alone in various states after threatening school shootings. And it is, I mean, it's a pretty lengthy thread. It's alarming. And the fact that politicians have a microphone put in their face and they are asked, why does this happen in this country? And they keep saying, I don't know. Yeah, I've seen uh, Ted Cruz specifically um, interacted with, confronted by reporters saying, you know, you talk about American exceptionalism and that we're the greatest country in the world. If that's the case, why can't we get a handle on this? Why are we the only country where this takes place still? Right. And he got all snarky about your liberal propaganda and your agenda, and he walked away. If you want to be against America and American exceptionalism, then you just do you. It's because there's no answer. And he walked away. And it's because there's no answer. Yeah. Be- well, there's an answer. It's an answer he cannot give because his pockets are lined by blood money, from the gun lobby. Right. Ugh. Anyway, Josh, uh, listen, keep your chin up. Um, do not get too down. Can't stay in the fight. We appreciate you. Thank you for your feedback very much. Uh, moving on. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Andrew from New Orleans. Uh, first of all, congratulating you all on a great 800 episode. Uh, I've been a follower since... 2016, early 2016, and I've enjoyed the ride ever since. Um, now that I want to talk about the shooting in Texas, but it had me thinking, uh, kind of going back into thinking in that sort of hindsight sort of way. Go back to the 1990s when I was in school, and I'm from New Orleans, I'm born and raised, and for since about 88. New Orleans had been the murder capital of the country for five, six, seven years straight. At the same time, there weren't any school shootings, as in shootings that happened in school, uh, mass shootings of that nature. I often wondered why that happened, uh, because I think I was still in school during Colum- when Columbine happened. But I didn't realize until it kind of hit me. In New Orleans at that time, Every school had metal detectors. We also wore clear backpacks, so you couldn't have any colors. It just had to be clear, plastic backpacks. They had guards on the front entrances and the side entrances to make sure nobody got in. You know, of course, there's always a way to slip past through the system, but we understood it was for our safety. Now, I know a lot of people are hesitant about those type of measures, but I think maybe those measures need to come back. And maybe, just maybe, just inside the school facilities that we can get back to that. What was also brought up to my mind was I think we have to have this discussion because I think this is where we're getting um, 
the misinformation and we're getting misled. We have to literally go into the Second Amendment, go to the Second Amendment and ask ourselves, what exactly is a well-regulated militia? I know it's going to be up for debate and up for study. So, but I think it's now the perfect time to like literally dig into that. Don't even worry about the rest of the Second Amendment. Let's just start with a well-regulated militia. What is that? And what do we see as that in context? I think that's where the the divide starts to happen. It's just my two cents. I uh, love the show. Of course, you know, Brittany, you're always the best part. Slater. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, thank you, Andrew. Um, there are a slate, a myriad of, of pers- uh, perspective solutions to this problem. I-, I don't think that we should be shying away from security in schools and and um, making kids safer. I-, I think that there's probably a knee-jerk reaction against that. It seems, I-, I don't have any evidence of that, but it just it seems natural to me that that people on the this political side of the aisle that they would reject that but i would say listen let's let's not be closed off to any solutions that are going to keep our kids safe and alive and alive but it shouldn't be trading one for the other solution wise though we we shouldn't be doing that and not addressing the gun problem because the gun problem is the fucking problem yeah well and if i see any pushback against discussion of those increased security measures in schools. I think it's only because, or mostly because the it's detracting from the emphasis on the guns, which people view as the primary problem, which is a valid concern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I did want to talk about, it seems odd to me that, I mean, there's all kinds of distractions that get brought up during these times that, uh, it's the video games. That's the problem. It's the it, it's it's the, the 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 broken homes. That's the problem. It's it's whatever non mental illness. That's the problem. Even though countries have this, they watch the same TV, they listen to the same music, they they play the same video games. There's the same rates of mental illness, and they don't have the problem. The problem is the guns. The mm-hmm. problem is the guns. An easy, quick access to weapons of war listen i'm not calling for a banning of all weapons there's probably many of you out there who are there i'm not there we do have a second amendment that does absolutely it's been ruled time and time again it does protect the individual right individual's right to own a weapon but i can tell you this the carnage the death the destruction the the it would not have been the same on the same scale at all unless this asshole had an AR-15, which is equivalent to an M16A2 service rifle, the same weapon that I use in the Marine Corps. Well, and we also have the evidence that he waited to obtain this weapon right. until it was legal for him to do so. So laws work. And we're also seeing now that these companies, these gun manufacturers, like offer financing payment plans where you can yeah. pay over time right. for your gun. So even if you can't afford to buy, and these these weapons are very expensive. You can get it in your hands. Yeah, and, and they're expensive. I mean, thousands of dollars that yeah. you need. And then the other element to this that conservatives don't want to talk about, they want to talk about the culture and how kids are this or kids are that, and it's bullying, and, and all of that, I'm sure, does play a role. But why isn't a switch flipped in their head and, and something triggered thought-wise in their brain that... 
the vast majority of school shootings in this country, whether they be bullied kids or not, because listen, gay kids are bullied, fat kids are bullied, kids who are a little bit different or, or a little bit off uh, from the norm. Girls get bullied. Bully, 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 bully. People are bullied constantly. But why is it that white males are the ones who are who are creating this kind of carnage the vast majority of the time? Well, and that's why I highlighted girls get bullied as well. Right. And girls are... Has there ever been a girl school shooter? I mean, I don't... I don't think so. I don't think... I mean, I'm, there may have been one out there, but... Mm-hmm. That is why, like conservatives, you'll see get all up in arms on Twitter when people just immediately assume it's a, a white male who did it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, it, it's a safe assumption to make based on the odds. Right, right. And that's a, something that needs to be addressed. If they want to talk about the culture, let's talk about the culture and what the fuck is wrong with white males in America. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, thanks for the call. We appreciate it very much. And thank you for your listenership over the course of these hundreds of episodes you are awesome. All right, moving on. Hi to you two, and congrats on the 800th episode. My comment right now is people are forgetting COVID-19 is still around. Both my sister and I caught COVID-19 last weekend, and it sucks. I am vaccinated and boosted, mild symptoms. However, my older sister isn't vaccinated and is autoimmune compromised, which makes it so much more difficult to recover. Luckily, she was able to get monoclonal antibodies from our health provider at Kaiser Permanente. Basically, people are forgetting the pandemic is still here and case numbers, especially in Southern California where we live, are drastically up. We both don't know where we caught it originally, but we did our best with masks and social distancing and still caught COVID. Keep up the great work, you two. Also, would love videos of you guys, full episodes or even clips as a compromise. We're working on it. And that is from Jonathan. That is uh, all all of that that you're not getting, it, it, you're, you're missing us in your eyes, not just your ears, is because of me. So I will take blame for that. We have a half set up podcast studio recording room. Half set up, meaning we have like sound panels that we normally install on the walls. And what has happened is because the living situation is not ideal and we want to move into a more permanent place where we will be living Yeah, that we haven't decided whether we want to install these sound panels and kind of make this the place that we wanted it to be. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even hung a single picture framed thing on the wall in the entire house again. And that's because (laughs) things were kind of misrepresented to us Yeah, and we're looking to uh, move. And who knows? Maybe at some point we'll name names. Maybe at some point we'll talk about our, our uh, property management company. We'll see. Okay. Brittany's getting uncomfortable. Jesse always goes there. It's always the place to go. Without a doubt, it's the place to go. Leveling vicious threats. <laughs> Great. Anyway, um, thank you, Jonathan, for the email. We appreciate it very much. One last voicemail, and then we are moving on. This is Grace from Buffalo. I just got through listening to episode 799. And the jackassery from the soulless grifters, Cruz and Abbott, really chapped my keister. Talking about one entrance, one door, armed police at the entrance. So let me remind you, or I should say let me state, the Tops store in Buffalo, of where I'm from, 
has one entrance and one exit. And there was an armed security guard there who, by the way, made it all the way through his career as a Buffalo police officer, surviving that, only to die by a white supremacist asshole who was dressed in military gear, military armor. So we have an armed guard at one entrance, and it didn't matter. These guys are assholes. The nonsense that they are spouting, the fact of the matter is, when people talk about the Second Amendment um, is absolute, nothing is absolute. You know what? You can have a gun. You just got to have a background check and not this two minute bull crap that they're doing now. You got to have a full grown background check. And you know what? You can have a gun. You just got to register. Just like you have to register your car. Got to register your gun. And you know what? You can have a gun as long as you take a gun safety course. Got to do it now if you're a hunter or at least in my state. Right. There's nothing stopping you from having a gun, but there's also nothing stopping us from having common sense gun laws. So this nonsense needs to stop. And every time they are confronted, that needs to be thrown back at them. Who is saying that you can't have a gun? Why can't you do these things to have one? You have to do that to, to do anything else. You can't get married without a license. You can't drive a car without a license. A bunch of jackassery stuff. Again, the shooter in Buffalo ordered military style tactical gear and he entered a one entrance place that had an armed security guard there and it didn't matter this nonsense needs to stop and I am sick to death of Democrats saying well we can't do anything because Republicans are blocking everything with them you know what you put the goddamn bill on the floor every single day and you televise it And I have left this message for Chuck Schumer. Of course, I've not received a phone call back. Anyway, I'm sorry. I am so angry and fired up and deeply sad. My community shouldn't be going through this. The Texas community shouldn't be going. Nobody should be going through this. It's a bunch of nonsense, and it needs to stop. And it's time to start holding these grifters accountable. I am fully endorsed this, this, uh, this sentiment. I think that um, by way of shame, by way of not letting them off the hook, first of all, listen, Democrats need to get off their asses and stop with this, like Josh talked about, this Nancy Pelosi saying, we need a strong, robust Republican Party. No, the fuck we don't. Joe Biden yesterday saying that uh, Mitch McConnell, we'll get to it, we're going to play a clip later, that Mitch McConnell is a rational Republican. I don't know what this glad-handing nostalgia for an era long gone is because it doesn't fucking get anything done. It doesn't closer get us closer to getting anything done. It's not saving lives. All it's doing is saving decades-long friendships with fucking fascists. That's what it does. I mean, exactly. It's also not going to make the Republicans more sympathetic or want to work with them. So I... The motivation isn't making progress. It's not getting work done. It's not compromise. I don't know what they view it as because it's not doing any of those things. Yeah, at all, without a doubt. Anyway, everybody, thank you very much for your voicemails and your emails and sharing your opinions with us, especially in times as as tough as these. We love you and we appreciate you. And if you're out there and you'd like to sound off, we'd love to hear from you, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone, as a few of these callers did, to idoubtit at dollamore.com. 
I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporter, Mr. R. Mr. R. And then we would like to give a shout out to Betty M. Betty M. Betty M. Recently became an annual Patreon supporter. So great. Which is an option for you. Remember that Patreon now offers the annual membership option where you get 10% off of your Patreon membership price. Very exciting. (laughs) Very great perk. You're very excited right now. And uh, if you are in the Patreon tier for the Zoom hangouts remember that we typically have them on the last saturday of the month but because we had our guest visiting last weekend we are moving it to saturday june 4th and remember that is at 1 p.m eastern time yes yes i got it right for the first time you did the other way you can support the show is go to dollamore.info which will redirect you to our teespring store and pick up a podcast shirt we do have new new podcast logoed shirts with the new logo on them, and that would be a great way to support the show. Every purchase goes uh, a, a great distance to to helping us fund what we do and do all the do of the do that we do. Yeah, you have great shirts that we just came out with that are ones that we're going to be wearing to the Poor People's Campaign oh, March yeah, for sure. in D.C. on Saturday, June 18th, which we're really excited to attend. It's probably going to be hotter than hell. But uh, <laughs> today it's 95 degrees. Yeah. And uh, if you're out there, just look for me. I'll be the one with the red balloon face because uh, that's what happens to my face when I'm overheated. Yeah, so. it looks. I I can kind of equate it. We to, don't need to. If it, if your oh. face was kind of like a cartoon slice of hubba bubba gum, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Maybe a little redder, but just as puffy and swollen. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of a fucking freak show. Yeah, it's basically like I'm allergic to the heat. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you were in Kmart and there was a blue light special. You could see the light the police light flashing in whatever corner to, to alert you to where the sale was, that's your face. So if people come to the to the, oh, to the march on Washington, uh-huh. it'll be just the red light special. Just look for Britney's hubba bubba face. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> about the accuracy of what you just described, but... I, I'm sticking with it. Okay. I think All right. it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Mo- moving on. Dilemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there continue to be questions about the what actually happened with the shooting in Texas. Because a lot of lies. A lot, a lot of lies of, coming from the cops. Can I also, just very quickly before you intro this, it, it is the thing that's very much bothered me about this, that these people who are sworn to protect and serve and they raise their right hand to protect and, 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 and the Constitution and, and their citizens that, that, that serve under them that don't have the authority that they have of arrest they carry a weapon. They're able to detain and arrest people. They're able to circumvent and usurp people's constitutional rights. And then when time comes, all the media is saying, oh, this, the discrepancies and the stories and the, ugh, they're liars. They lied about what took place. Yeah, so if you're wondering if training was the issue, the police department re- there recently completed an active shooter training. 
Just two months prior to horror in Uvalde, the school's police department posted on Facebook about the active shooter training it received at a local high school to prepare as best as possible for any situation that may arise. Now, questions tonight about whether they followed it. There has to be an independent investigation as to what occurred. In fact, the school district police chief, Peter Arredondo, who officials say delayed 19 officers from rushing in during the deadly rampage, recently completed an eight-hour training course on active shooters himself in December, according to state records. What is the most egregious mistake in your opinion? We should have done whatever it had taken to beat down walls, to beat down that door, whatever we needed to do. Because at a minimum, that may have drawn the attacker's attention away from those children. The Texas Commission on Law Enforcement produced a response playbook for school peace officers in the wake of Parkland and Santa Fe. It notes the priority of life scale is number one, innocence, number two, first responders, with a mandate to stop the killing. An officer's first priority is to move in and confront the attacker. The document later says a first responder unwilling to place the lives of the innocent above their own safety should consider another career field. Frank DeAngelis was the principal at Columbine during a tragedy that changed the country's lens on school shootings and the guidance in these situations. The number one lesson learned was instead of securing the perimeter, single officers need to go in. DeAngelis says he cannot comment on what officers should have done here as the public demands more information about what happened and why. Everyone asking that question. And Sam, you looked into school officer training. How exactly is it regulated? So here in Texas, Kristen, it is a requirement for any peace officer who wants a job or takes a job at an independent school district or assignment to complete that course within six months. Kristen. So just completed a active shooter training and part of the active shooter training specifies that the immediate action that police officers are that they should take is to immediately end the threat in the environment, which yeah. would be the active shooter, to immediately attend to the person who is killing people. Yeah, which is counter to what court case after court case has held, that police really have no duty, no du- obligative duty to put themselves in harm's way. If they don't, they can just say, well, I didn't want to get shot, and there's no consequence legally for that. So I don't even understand what the guy was saying about uh, he can't comment on what the officer should have done. Well, I can. They should have charged in and neutralized the threat. They should have charged in and taken care of the of the of the individual individual that was murdering children, that was creating a situation where kids were smearing their teacher's blood on their faces so they could play dead. It's not on teachers and student children to defend themselves. It is the people with whom we have given authority over the rest of us. Mm-hmm. People who can detain and cuff you and bring you to jail and charge you with crimes. Yeah, I don't want to drag out the old with great power comes great responsibility, but come the fuck on. Yeah, so in in these training guidelines, the first priority, it says officers first priority is to move in and confront the attacker. This may include bypassing the injured and not responding to cries from help 
from the children. And as we know, in this case, they uh, didn't do either of those yeah, things. Yeah, they ignored both. And it goes on to say that the, that quote, time is the number one enemy during active shooter response. The short duration and high casualty rates produced by these events require immediate response to reduce the loss of life. In many cases, that immediate response means a single solo officer response until such time as other forces can arrive. The best hope that innocent victims have is that officers immediately move into action to isolate, distract, or neutralize the threat, even if that means one officer is acting alone. Yeah. So these are the guidelines. This is what they were told in their training. And yet two months later, they fail to do any of that. And why, you might ask? Well, Cowards. Other, other, Cowards. other cops are coming out and defending this, including a, of course they are. a regular uh, guy who appears on Fox News with Maria... Bartiromo. Bartiromo, who's like a conspiracy theorist now. I had to practice her name to get it right. Uh, he's <laughs> He is a Texas Department of a public safety official, a lieutenant, and his name is Chris Olivares. And during his interview with Wolf Blitzer, he specifically said that the cops didn't do what they needed to do because, and America needs to understand this, they could have been shot. But don't current the best practices, Lieutenant, call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings that's your job that is your goddamn job you are armed you are armed with military grade weaponry and armor and vehicles shut your fucking coward mouth while 19 children are dead well, even so, this is just an effort to explain things without us fully having all of the information because even what he just tried to explain there, there's conflicting reports surrounding that. Yeah. That whether or not they had him in the classroom or kids were calling 911 from that classroom while he was still in there and an active threat while the cops were on the outside of the classroom door. While the cops were on the outside of the building tasing and arresting parents who were doing everything in their power to actually go in unarmed and dissolve the situation. So, yeah, we know you could have been shot. But this is why there are rallies held for you. And everyone says that you are heroes and right. you get all these special privileges in society. You get to take away people's rights like you are afforded a lot of power in society because you could be shot. I'm like assuming the cops know this when they sign up to do the job, right? You, wait, Wolf, you don't understand. There was a guy with a gun in there. You expect us to go in? Oh, Wolf. The American people need to know we could have been shot. Well, and of course you're seeing the inconsistency because oftentimes cops will say that they were afraid that they were going to be shot by unarmed black men that they kill. Right. That's their excuse, that they were afraid, they, they feared for their life, that they were going to be shot. 
So it's you shoot people because you fear for your life you're going to be shot. You don't do the things that your job requires. You don't shoot the people you need to shoot because you're afraid you're going to get shot. Like, yeah. is it just inaction and action? It explains it both ways. Is it, that what's happening? Shocking cowardice. Yeah. So again, this guy um, is a partisan hack. He is constantly retweeting things about the border, constantly appearing on Fox News to talk about the border. So when he's standing there with Wolf Blitzer, it's not like he should be treated as a serious person who is there to give legitimate commentary on actually what transpired and he's a position holder within the texas government he, he works with the texas department of public safety i mean he's not just some rando mm-hmm. yeah Ugh. yeah so now we are turning to the push for gun control legislation and whether or not democrats are going to be able to get republicans on board this time Tonight, the push for gun control legislation appears to be picking up bipartisan support in the midst of more violence this weekend. Police in Chattanooga say six people were shot overnight downtown. One person of interest was detained. And in Tulsa, one person there was killed and seven others injured in a shooting at a community event overnight. These latest incidents come as a small group of lawmakers try to push gun reform forward in what's being called serious negotiations. Here's ABC's White House correspondent, Mary Alice Parks. In the wake of the elementary school massacre in Uvalde, Texas, tonight, anger boiling over for Congress to enact meaningful gun reform. Texas Senator Ted Cruz confronted at a restaurant after speaking at the NRA convention in Houston just days after the shooting. As protests around the country calling for change. Tonight, Democratic leaders optimistic that a bipartisan group of senators are taking part in serious negotiations over this holiday weekend on possible gun safety legislation. There are more Republicans interested in talking about finding a path forward this time than I have ever seen since Sandy Hook. On the table, proposals widely popular among Americans, including red flag laws, strengthening background checks, safe gun storage, and mental health resources. Another idea, raising the legal age to buy any gun to 21, something that then-Governor Rick Scott, a Republican, signed into law after the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. I think that raising the age of gun purchase to 21 is a no-brainer. Illinois Representative Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who owns an AR-15, says it's time for reforms. I'm a strong defender of the Second Amendment. We have to be the ones putting forward reasonable solutions to gun violence. He added he was open to special licensing for owning assault weapons. Republican Chris Jacobs, whose very conservative district borders Buffalo, New York, the site of another mass shooting just two weeks ago, went a step further, saying he would vote for an assault weapons ban. No constitutional right is unlimited. There is, you know, there has to be guardrails. Some attendees at that NRA convention expressing a willingness to compromise. Both sides, we want the same result. We don't want that to happen again. I think it's just, it's different. We have different ideas about how to get to that point. That's really where where we, we need to find some common ground. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer gave that bipartisan working group 10 days to report back. And as for that question about age limits, just two years ago, Congress voted to change the law to raise the limit for buying tobacco from 18 to 21. They got that done. So these lawmakers are going to continue to face questions about the age limit for purchasing firearms as well. Lindsay? Raising the age certainly keeps coming up here. Mary Alice, thank you. 
So I think that was Adam Kinzinger that said he was open to the yeah. Second Amendment, or he was he was saying that supporters of the Second Amendment need to be the ones that are putting forward policy proposals, and he has actually said he's open to an AR-15 ban. I think it's interesting for him to frame it in those terms that a supporter of the Second Amendment, that those individuals need to be the ones putting forward policy proposals, because what you often see is that they take the Bill O'Reilly approach to gun rights. It is that these mass shootings are the price of freedom. Right. Bill O'Reilly specifically said that, used that phrase after the Las, Las Vegas shooting. And I think many conservatives believe that, that these mass shootings are just the price of freedom and this is the society that they want to live in. Like, like the countries all across the world don't also have freedom. Yes. Yeah. Like we're the freest country on in, on the planet, which is just objectively not fucking true or i guess that freedom to them looks like all of those goofs that like take pictures with their guns laid out on their bed and on the floor and like they have so many guns where where do they even keep these guns but um so i think that it is positive i guess to hear that there appears to be more republicans than after sandy hook for example that are willing to have these discussions I still heard mental health being used in there, that they want to fund mental health resources. Listen, great, let's fund mental health resources. Not necessarily as the solution to the gun problem, but yeah, that's definitely something important. You you would really think that people who are gun owners and enthusiasts would want to protect their right to own a weapon by way of curtailing, keeping the, the guns out of the hands of the bad people keeping the hunt, guns out of the hands of the unqualified. That's only going to bolster their right to own a weapon. I don't, I don't, it is such a... The political messaging has twisted, like it always does, people's views on this issue. It's just fucking gross. Yeah, so President Biden took a trip to Texas to visit with family members who lost children, who... Uh, lost their their family members in the shooting in Texas. And afterward, he was questioned by the press about what he plans to do on gun rights legislation. I've been pretty motivated all along. You know, the folks, uh, the folks who were victimized in their, their family, they spent about three hours and 40 minutes with they waited all that time, and some came two hours early. And uh, the pain is palpable, and I think a lot of it's unnecessary. So I'm going to continue to push, and uh, we'll see how this works. Because I've not been negotiating with any of the Republicans yet. And uh, I deliberately did not uh, engage in a debate about that with any Republicans in that we, when we were down in families in Texas. Um, so I, I don't I don't know what is the most how far it goes. I know that it makes no sense to be able to purchase something that can fire up to 300 rounds. I know it makes and I know what happened when we had rational action before back in in France with the law that I got back. It did significantly cut down mass murders. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. And those who 
not many are saying it anymore, but there was a while there where people were saying that, you know, the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, and what we have to do is you have to be able to take on the government when they're wrong. Well, to do that, you need an F-15, you know? You need a Abram tank. I mean, so it's just... I, I, think things, I, I think things have gotten so bad that everybody's getting more rational about it. At least that's my hope for Oh, I know I have to, but I, I, there's a constitution. I can't dictate this stuff. I can do the things I've done, and any executive action I can take, I'll continue to take. But I can't outlaw a weapon. I can't, you know, change the background steps. I can't do that. And, you know, my whole career I've been doing it. Persuasion, yeah. But, you know, there's been a few things happening. I think there's a realization on the part of rational Republicans, and I consider McConnell a rational Republican, and Corning is as well. Um, I think there's a recognition in their part that the Navy can't continue like this. You can't do this. And I consider Mitch McConnell a rational Republican. What is that based on? Mitch McConnell, who gave us, who engineered our 6-3 Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell, who is recalcitrant to any progress whatsoever, even if it helps his constituents. That Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden thinks is rational. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, again, why? Well, because we need a robust, strong Republican party. (laughs) What? What? What is the purpose? What is the goal? Of saying that because Mitch McConnell doesn't care. Mitch McConnell, let's repeat it. Mitch McConnell does not care. He doesn't care about the compliments. He doesn't care about the dead kids. Mitch McConnell doesn't fucking care except for anything other than political power for himself and for his particular political party. Again, he's not going to hear President Biden complimenting him and say, huh, maybe I should work with the Democrats and see what we can come up with. He's right. Yeah. I am reasonable. Well, he's already, what did he call him, an honorable man a few months ago? Is he just trying to speak it into existence? Is that what is that the approach that he's taking? Yeah, he's reading the secret. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a vision board in the White House, <laughs> in the Oval Office. It's, uh, it's got strings, and he's got yeah. like, pictures of Corvettes and shit on it. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a secret guy. Yeah, that makes sense. Gross. So anyway, listen, uh, we don't want to leave you that... We want to continue to talk about that we're the only country where this continues to happen. You know, the onion headline that, uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but something like, oh, we cry. What, what can we do, says says leaders of the country where this is the only place that this happens. Yeah. And it's not the case that this happens everywhere. Great Britain, Australia, there's all kinds of countries who did what needed to happen early on and haven't had a fucking problem with it since. In the wake of the Texas school shooting, it's unclear if lawmakers will do anything to tighten gun laws. That has not been the case in other countries which have experienced mass shootings. Holly Williams is in London. Holly, good morning. How are people there reacting to what happened here? Well, good morning, Michelle. Many people here in the UK feel a special bond with the US, and it's painful to see American children killed like this. But a lot of people I've spoken to here also say they're mystified, they're confused, because here and in other countries where there's been a massacre, the government brings in tougher gun control laws. 
and they cannot comprehend why that doesn't happen in the U.S. Sixteen young children and their teacher have been shot dead by a gunman at a primary school near Stirling. In 1996, the United Kingdom was horrified by the murder of five- and six-year-old children by a lone shooter. I just can't believe something like this is happening. It was the deadliest mass shooting in British history. And after a grassroots campaign, the government here banned the private ownership of all handguns. Good evening. All Australians tonight share the horror of the Port Arthur massacre. In Australia, also in 1996, a lone gunman murdered 35 people. In response, the then conservative Australian government banned nearly all semi-automatic rifles and shotguns and launched a program to buy back more than 600,000 weapons from those who already owned them. The greatest civil right you have is to stay alive. Staying alive and being free from random attack is a far more precious civil right than owning a gun. These are the most popular firearms. In Australia in 2015, we found the nation's tough gun control laws widely popular, even with this gun shop owner. I mean, if you were in America, you'd probably sell a lot more guns and make a lot more money. Yeah, I suppose sometimes it's not all about the money. From Columbine to Sandy Hook and Parkland. School shootings have broken the hearts of Americans, but there's been no major change to gun ownership laws in the U.S. We've got a gun lobby and a corporate gun lobby that has its tentacles so deeply into our political process. Dr. Jonathan Metzl is a sociologist who told us he's witnessed the gun lobby pressure U.S. politicians into withholding support for tougher laws. The lesson of those other countries is really that People came together across the political divide. But were those countries able to do that because they don't have powerful gun lobbies? 100% yes. <laughs> Definitely yes. One of the Parkland survivors called out Senator Marco Rubio for taking campaign money from the NRA. Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? And even that didn't change anything. That people buy into my agenda. And I do support the Second Amendment. But in New Zealand, another mass shooting in 2019, 51 people killed in two mosques, once again prompted legal change outside the US. A ban on military-style semi-automatic weapons and assault rifles. This week, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern explained how they did it. Now, we have legitimate needs for guns in our country for things like pest control and to protect our biodiversity, but you don't need a military-style semi-automatic weapon to do that. And so we got rid of them. Australia saw gun deaths plummet after its new laws came into effect. And here in the UK, there are so few guns on the streets that even the police don't generally carry firearms. And ladies, while in the US this year, there's been more than one mass shooting a day on average, in other wealthy countries, they are extremely rare. So again, you heard you heard several little clips there about how our values and our priorities in this country are just different from those in other countries. You heard you heard in that clip that being protected is far more of a precious right than owning a gun and that sometimes it's not all about the money to the guy specifically who could make yeah. more money selling guns in America. And those I think are two points that need to be highlighted more often is that 
our collective safety in our society and our ability to live our lives and, and, and go out in public and feel safe, like we are going to be protected from being a victim of a mass shooting. And also the fact that these gun lobbyists and the politicians who can make so much money from the NRA and other organizations, they are increasing the moral corruption of this country the depravity that we see on display. Absolutely. When they are choosing money and power over the safety of our society. Of their very constituency. Right. I mean, it needs to be a situation where it's just a straight litmus test. If you take a single dollar from the gun lobby or the NRA, fuck you. You don't get somebody's vote. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to have to come to because there are Democrats out there there are Democrats out there who do take the money, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Not not a ton, but they exist. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Once again, we love you guys. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for your listenership and your loyalty and your support of this show there is in it, it, there is no way conceivable that we would be here recording episode 800 without all of you. Um, you are the most important part of this show. Uh, to 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 coin a phrase about who's the best part. So uh, anyway, we love you guys. We will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been. I doubt. It.